0: Welcome back. This is Unglamorous Truths, a podcast about how to make it come hell or high water. I'm Amebeth. I'm Chandra. I'm Crystal. And today we have a very, very, very special guest very with Very special. Us. Very special. Y'all better be grateful, okay? Because yes. I am. We have writer, director, mm-hmm. producer. Bentley Kyle Evans. Woo! Thank you, thank you. i just gonna brag on you a little bit, you're the credits a bit. He's the creator of Family Time, creator of Partners in Rhyme on All Black, and mm-hmm. also the showrunner of Love That Girl. Martin and the Jamie Foxx show y'all mm-hmm. yes. Yes. yeah 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 yes. Yes. okay yeah
1: yes. it's, it's crazy to have grown up seeing your name in credits and mm-hmm. now see the person you know? that's what's up <laughs> Yeah, that's it, what's up it's
0: like yeah. a, like okay I mean we're making it right that's right.
2: cool you know you know if I can if I if yes. may I, I met when I first met uh Russell Simmons I walked up to Russell, and uh, I was a fan, you know. And I said, uh, hey, man, how you doing, man? I'm Bentley Evans. And he goes, Bentley Evans? I know that name. from Martin, man, you ain't no Bentley. Bentley Evans is white. I was like, "Whoa, I was like, damn, what? really? Okay, now he's very black
3: <laughs> <laughs> and very me." <he. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, maybe some about the three names. You have, it's the three names, right? It's a three
2: name thing. Three I made a conscious effort to do mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. in in credits, especially from when I started. Martin um, Keenan Ivory Wayans, mm. right, was a mentor and an idol of mine. Legend, and he said. Keenan Ivory Wayans and I was like well I'm gonna use my mama's my mama named me Bentley Kyle Evans I'm gonna use the middle name and and it just kind of stuck so you know I hated my name growing up but it kind of stuck so I just rolled with it
0: yeah I love that and we would like to start it off with like a fun little kickoff question okay so today my question is if you didn't work in entertainment what would you do like where would you work it could be you know something like that you're actually really good at or just something fun that you'd like oh mm-hmm. i'd definitely give that a shot for me i'd work at a silent retreat <laughs> A I'd silent retreat. i would work at a silent so retreat. Much sense for her. Uh-huh. okay like literally the the main idea is you don't have to talk to nobody yeah. <laughs> and yep. like i would love that to just be quiet mm-hmm. that's and right. still make money like that's yes dope. that's incredible that would be cool. That would be so cool. And then you're still getting, like, whatever, like, holistic stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, nobody is yapping at you. And, like, yes. I know I work in an industry where talking is the thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I didn't do this, I would go completely 180 and mm-hmm. be quiet.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, where my interest lies, uh, real estate One, mm-hmm. I think you can get the same, uh, the same feeling of gratification in the real estate that you get in entertainment. Because it's still a product. You're still marketing and you're coming in and putting your creativity on it. And then you turn around and sell it to Mm. put it in distribution and sell it. Mm. So it's the same kind of thing. You know, Uh, I'm also interested in the food area. So I would have I like the idea of being a chef.
4: Yes. Yeah, oh, you like know, I, like if you uh-huh. went all over the
2: world and came back, and I was like, okay, I'm cooking on Sunday. I'm doing this Brazilian thing. I'm doing Trinidadian food. I like that idea. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I would say probably one of the two of those two things, the, the food industry or or real estate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be a homesteader. I'd be. A, I'm. I'm off the grid with my chickens, my quails, my um, my dogs, my crops. Yeah. I'm homesteading yeah I'm not, that is I'm not dealing with any of this 100 tracks yeah yes. yeah that's me Absolutely. the two
0: scorpios are Absolutely. like disengaging from the <laughs> Off-brand. world Off-brand. yeah you know
2: i'm i'm a i'm a people person and a social butterfly so i gotta be amongst the people i gotta that's be fair. yeah moving and shaking yeah. out there um i thrive off yeah. of folks okay. well
3: if i could be something else i would be a choir director and conductor so because when i was little i thought they had the coolest job i was in a I was in a kid's choir growing up in dc and we performed all over town Mm -hmm. and the conductor that moment when they go like this before they drop and like then you guys all sing i think it's like the coolest thing ever super
2: dope but aren't you cheating the game because you said the question was if you weren't in entertainment, and that's really? entertaining. But that ain't people. Hollywood.
3: You didn't that's say like, Hollywood. I, I, I'm thinking you like mean the church. I'm talking about like high school choir director or okay. like for okay. teenagers. All right, all like right. Like in a school type of setting. Yeah. Okay. Yes,
1: yes. Okay.
2: All That'd right. You fun. walk up. Yeah, on. that would
3: be fun. That's yeah.
1: cute. I, yeah. I I want that for you for your next next yeah. life. Yeah, yes. I, I can see you doing that too. Yeah, yeah. I love okay. the kids.
4: Yeah.
0: All right. Now into this episode, that's about you know. The process of making television Mm -hmm. then and now we really want to like honestly like have a fun conversation with you about what it was like for you to first of all how did you get from being a pa on hollywood shuffle to being a showrunner before 30 like what what was that
2: man you know what when you think back about it it's like how did that how did that happen i think it's because i was so Um, ignorant to what this whole business was. So when you don't know something, you don't know the rules Mm -hmm. and you don't follow them because you're not privy to them. Mm -hmm. So you kind of do things uh, in an unorthodox manner, Mm -hmm. right? And so what I, you know, for me, what I did was, first of all, I never grew up wanting to be in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. I grew up around entertainers. I went to school with some kid actors Neighbors were like Ray Charles, uh, Ike and Tina Turner were neighbors and I went to school with their kids and a whole bunch of, uh, you know, they call it the black Beverly Hills Mm -hmm. now. What neighborhood for those Uh, who don't know? Yeah. View Park, Windsor Hills. Um, yeah, you know, so it was like, it was, it was a special feeling growing up there, but never in a million years did I know that I'd be in the entertainment industry. So, um, getting on Hollywood shuffle, which is a whole different story, um, I landed there and I don't even know if I was technically a PA. I was just kind of like a pilot, is what I call it. Pilot over there, pick it up, pilot over there, pilot (laughs) over there. Whatever I could do just to be down with these guys that were making some positive moves, right? And I was a studier. I'm a quick study. I watch people and I'm like, ooh, that's why when I came in here, I was like this, ooh, I. Yeah, yeah. I could build one of these in one of my rooms or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's just that um, I watched Robert. I watched Kenan, um, and that whole clan of people that were uh, names that I had seen before. But I just, you know, they were kind of getting their real start in the game, too. And so I knew the first time I read a script, cover to cover, which was Hollywood Shuffle, I said, yo. First of all, I asked Robert, I said, did you? you so you wrote this and he said yeah and i was like like but the words though <laughs> he was like yes i wrote this and i was like but i mean how do you how do you have the i guess i in my mind i just assumed that actors just kind of got on stage and acted i didn't even some think do. i didn't think yeah. there was well some do yes but i i didn't even think about the presence of a script and so um you know i just watched what everyone did on set as i was you know, getting water for everybody. And I just kind of like the feeling of feeling like I found something. I found a place where I belong. I um, was never an athlete. Is I'm six foot five, but I was never an athlete. Right? <laughs> and everybody was like, man, I want you on my team. Until they got me on their team. And they was like,
3: hey, I don't know
2: about the next game. We're probably going to go a different direction. Right.
3: But Dang. um, Being I just, first pick and then not.
4: Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? So I I uh, I was just a quick study and I was like, if I can just watch what everyone does and I, I watched and adored Robert and whatever they were doing and and these sketches is what it's pretty much what they were doing is what everything everybody's doing on TikTok now sketches basically. Yeah. And I just watched and watched and watched and then um, I realized that the the key to this business is all about relationships, one hundred percent. Talent is second, unfortunately. Right. Because it's a lot of very talented people in the in the game right now or that are in the world right now that will never be able to showcase their talents and get it to the world because they just don't have the opportunities. Um, But I just I just knew that this is where I belonged and this is what I want to do. And how do I get uh, into the next realm of my career well i got a little bit of advice from from robert i told him hey you write scripts i want to write scripts and he was like slow down buddy hold on
4: that's
2: what i do you just you just do what you do and i'm like yeah but what is that so basically he told me if you want to write and you want to produce and you want to be a director like me you should start out acting and i was like i'm not really interested in doing that why do you say that and he was like well I think you should start out as an actor because what happens is you get to get on different people's sets Mm. and you start to see the different uh varieties of of genres that are out there and you start meeting producers start meeting writers other fellow actors and that becomes your world you become entrenched with it and there's no prerequisite to becoming an actor Mm -hmm. you know you could you could be an actor at Three days old in a Pampers commercial. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's no there's no prerequisite to it. So I said, Okay, so how do I do that? And he goes, I can't give you the step by step on that. You gotta figure that out on your own. But just hang out on this Hollywood shuffle uh, set and and go through the experience with me and you'll start to it'll blossom. Mm-hmm. And I did I worked for him for free for about two years. Never received a dime. Uh, my parents thought I was absolutely out of my mind, and I was uh, on a pipe dream, and that was in the in the 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 height of crack cocaine, mm. of, and they thought your
0: mom was like, at this point just saw the crack, boy. <laughs> no, I don't know if they thought I was
2: on crack. I was
4: like, Is "This nigga crazy. What's he talking about?" Smoking.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, so 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 to make the you know to to expedite the story, it's just like basically going from that to. Uh, meeting uh, a lot of key people in my life that really uh, were the connectors that got me to where I needed to be. And uh, I can give you some of those if you want to hear them. But um, bottom line is once I met Martin Lawrence and we became uh, fast friends, he was new in town, didn't know anybody out here, holidays. I'm like, yo, my mom and them cooking, why don't you come to the crib, you know? Mm -hmm. And we become buddies. And then when the Martin show, um, the, the the first talks about the Martin show started happening, um, he started telling me about it. And I said, okay, well, you know, if you ever want to hook your boy up, you know, if it happens, you know, I want to be in that writer's room. And he was like, come on, bro. That's not, that ain't.
3: That's not how it works. That Well,
2: that ain't what we do. Mm. You know, that's the white boys gig, right? Oh. That's what he said.
4: Wow. He said, that's,
2: come on, Ben, that's what the white boys do. You know, you know how that go. And I was like, yeah, but no, I want to be in the writer's room. I want to figure that out. And he was like, "Uh, you know, Ben, I I think you should concentrate on one of these roles. We got this Tommy and Cole role you might want to read for. And I was like, no, man, I really want to write, and I'll show you. So he was shooting uh, House Party 2 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went down to the set, and I took a stack of scripts that I had already written, because preparation... Uh, meets opportunity meets yes. success, right? Yeah. Yes. So I was already prepared. I didn't even know this was gonna happen, but I had a, a stack of scripts that I had written over the uh, the year or two. And I took him a bunch of scripts and said, I don't write, huh? Hmm. Take a read of one of these and just see what you think. So the next day I get a call from him early in the morning. He says, Yo, man, come out to my house. I want to talk to you. (laughs) So I shoot out to his place. He's in a little small apartment, no furniture. We sit (laughs) on the floor. And he says, yo, man, I'm so impressed. I had no idea. You write. I said, yeah. He goes, man, I never knew another black man that could write like this. And at the time, I think I'm 23, something like that. And uh, he was like, yo, man, whatever I do, you got to be my writer.
4: And I was like,
2: okay. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm green yeah. to the business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he he takes me to a couple of meetings at HBO and I do remember one time they said, uh, Martin, you could come on in. Uh, your friend can have a seat here in the waiting right. room. Would you like some water, sir? And I was like, yeah, I'll take the water. And he was like, no, nah, he don't want no water. He's coming in with me. And I was like, okay. Uh, a real one. Yeah, okay. oh, real one. yeah but I, at the time I'm so dumb and so green I don't even realize what he's doing. So I said, no nah, man, you know, don't 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 mess up your shit. And he's like this, basically. He looked at me like, shut, they shut up, right. and just roll with me. Okay. So I go in this meeting, and I'm seeing these executives for the first time, and these these writers and stuff like that. And Martin says, yeah, you know, this is my writer. And they were like, oh yeah, they ripped me apart, straight up. What did they do? They were like this, oh yeah, you're you're a writer, huh? What do you write? And I was like. Uh, well, you know, Keenan and them talking about let me get a sketch on there In Living Color. You know, I got a couple of things that I want to do and they were like this. Mm, no, uh, we don't think that you have the credits to be a writer. Tell us something else. I'm I'm making up stuff. I'm so uncomfortable. And they said, no, Martin, this guy is going to write your show. This guy named John Bowman, who ultimately created the, the, the Martin show. Mm-hmm. And so John's sitting there and he's Harvard grad you know white boy just came off in living color you know he had been around a little bit right mm-hmm. so they're looking at me like I mean they it was a clown session mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize I was being clown I'm just young and gullible mm-hmm. so when we leave out of the meeting Martin says hey man don't ever don't ever do that again and I said what's that he said don't ever uh discredit yourself mm-hmm. he said You know these white boys do this shit all the time. Now, if you wanna, if you wanna go with me, we can take this journey together. But if you, you know, if you got self doubt and you don't know your self worth, Mm. then you, you you know, maybe we should go different ways. And I was like, no, I'm with you. And it was a very long ride home because I, I was trying to understand what he was saying. Right. And then I realized, yo, he's really trying to hook me up. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And
2: so when the show took off, they, uh, you know, of course they said you're not going to write his show. You're not going to create the show, but you'll be a writer's trainee on the show.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And Martin said, "No. He won't be a writer's trainee on the show. He's going to be a writer on the show. Mm-hmm. Put him on staff." And that's how I got uh
3: Come on. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Wow. And then to get the showrunner is a whole different that's a right. that's a longer story.
1: But what a tremendous thing to step into at 23 to have somebody be like, you need to know yourself. You need to not have self-doubt yeah. as we move. Because in those early 20s, that's all you really have is a bag of self-doubt.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
2: I was scared. I, I mean, I was like looking at him like, what kind of what kind of person are you? Yeah. But, I, but my experience was different. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I was at the time I had the comfortability of living in my parents' home still. Mm-hmm. I was in no rush to grow up. So I'm mm-hmm. still at the crib. Mm-hmm. I'm still partying like crazy. Mm-hmm. So there was no pressure. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you're talking about a guy that came out here from the East mm-hmm. Coast with the mentality PG of, County. yo, I got to make it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it yes. was like the grit and the grime of coming out of you know mm-hmm. living in the projects and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. I was like, I'm. I'm flower child, basically mm, right. living up in Baldwin Hills, mm-hmm. going to high school on the beach. Right, right. You know right. what I'm saying?
3: And I, you know what that, you know what that I mean? speaks to the East Coast sensibility because I think, well, or, or also I'm at Chicago as a as a grit factor because I do feel like when we started pitching, because you know we were green as hell too, but we always had an assurance that we had something to say, and we also. It was kind of like what else do we have to lose
4: right because
3: yeah. we were not comfortable california girls mm-hmm. right like <laughs> we were very much very broke. throwing yeah. it on the line okay. like there was a lot of sacrifice a lot of i mean we came from new york and figuring out how to flip a, a a dime into a quarter in new york city after yeah. that you really can't tell me nothing right yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. so i really do i feel martin the goat on that because yeah it's like you sometimes being moving across the country and being just hungry and fresh is the best thing that can happen.
0: Yeah, Like, and one thing I think we came across in these like pitches, like, cause we were like, our, we are, we are always are our, our authentic selves and like telling our true stories and the cultural like misunderstandings mm. were sometimes overwhelming. Like we had a pitch once at a, it was an, a network pitch for a show that we ultimately did sell, but we had a character that was dealing with um code switching mm-hmm. and it was like a big part of the, the journey and like the a lot of the pitch kind of leaned into that and at the end the executive said with a plain face like hey you say this word a lot in your pitch like code switching what does that mean and we were so stuck like first of all like growing up we were told that there were things something there are such things as dumb questions sometimes right like some things that you should a little bit be embarrassed not to know or like you need to google it but i was like wow the audacity of this white woman to just be like she is the primary culture yeah. so anything that she doesn't know is okay versus like we have to be so tapped into what they're doing and we have to know what they're into but it, it's not the same in reverse and so like we, were, we couldn't even like answer that question like our ep had to step in and like this is what black people do to make white people feel comfortable right because we were just like what like how do you not know this girl so like were there any instances in in working at martin or jamie Foxx show like where you guys had to, like, over-explain cultural experiences? Or what, did you have, like, a safe space to just do your thing?
2: Oh, no, you had to over-explain it. I mean, for sure. How how would they know? I mean, how how would they know? They don't know. They, did, they still don't know. They think they know. But, yeah, no, there were several instances. I mean, you know, you're in that writer's room. And, well, and, and I say it goes both ways because there were a few times that they would use words that I wasn't familiar with and I'd be like this in my mind go, Wait, what, what does that mean? What is an epiphany? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but then you you but you were so smooth about it, you know we know how to adapt.
1: It, that part. We're always. gonna figure it out.
2: We're gonna say have to say that one more time and okay, I get the context. Right. Now um yeah definitely when we had to come up with, you know, very colorful dialogue that Martin made sure that we were very authentic and stayed uh, real with with what was happening and with the culture and everything, mm-hmm. and this is like during the early years of the hip hop thing taking mm-hmm. over, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, he wanted to make sure that we were very very clear in our dialogue and stuff. And so when you would throw out a pitch, and nobody but the two or three black people in the room would bust out laughing, and the white people were like, "What's that? What do, what is that? Mm. What is what do you mean?" Mm. And I'm like, "Put that in the script." Nah, I don't I don't really know. See, we need this show to speak to all audiences. And I'm going, yeah, 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 but I mean, we also wanted to speak to our audience. And it was like always that argument. Or if you had a character like um, Shaneneh, right? Well, I think that all black people know Shaneneh. We know her. Um, We know that around the way, Mm -hmm. uh, ghetto girl, if you will, Um, that's, you know, that's got the long nails and she might put a little, Mm -hmm. yeah, a little click-clack and a little, she might put an S on the end of shrimps, you know, some shrimps Mm -hmm. or scrimps. Scrimps. We know her because (laughs) either she's somebody we went to school with, uh, we have her as a cousin, we got her as an aunt, we know that character. Mm -hmm. They don't know that
0: character. Mm -hmm.
2: So it was a, a lot of times having to really explain to them why is so wild. funny. And was this
0: in development before production started? Oh, no, this is, a- is like, ongoing.
2: This is ongoing,
0: which
3: is so crazy because I feel like you're really a warrior for that because the outs external product is so iconic for being so black and so yeah. authentic and so beloved. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you were having these dumbass wars in the rooms when like, I couldn't tell from watching. I feel like black people probably- they gave y'all like- Yeah, a whole black writer's room. Yeah, just-
2: No, when we started, let's see, when we started the Martin Show, um, I think there were eight writers and- No, there were nine writers and three of us in that first season were black. No, it was four, but um, there were like, we were all very low level writers. So Mm. we weren't able to make the decisions- right mm-hmm. and so like i said i started to understand what my value was really really quick mm. you know i'd sit there and i would go oh they oh they don't know watching me throw this line out here and they never heard it but i took i took it out of a hip hop song
4: mm-hmm. and
2: they never mm-hmm. heard it and they think it's funny you know what i'm saying it's like like i remember the line was it was right out of a ice cube song and he said something like man I'm going to knock her boots from here to Albuquerque, right? Mm-hmm. They thought that was so funny. And I was like, check, that's funny. They don't, <laughs> they don't know that line. And so stuff like that, you know, where you really had to convince them that this is the way to go. Now, here's the other thing. Martin was so vigilant in his approach to that show mm-hmm. that if it came out on page and it was milquetoast, it was it was corny, mm-hmm. he would be like this, Benley. Come down to the stage for a second. I will come down there. What, what, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Hey man, I tried to tell him. So then it would be like this: Hey John, if Bentley tells you something, put that shit in the script. And yeah, all right, okay, Martin, all right, no problem. So now it's like I'm sitting in the room going, "Yeah, we don't say sofa, we say couch."
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, and
3: they, they make the change. Okay. Yep. you know, you start, you start recognizing doing, the value. You start,
2: I start recognizing my value, mm-hmm. and 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 you start to feel your power like wow well, I'm, I'm very powerful in this in this scenario mm-hmm. so I, I just started you know playing like that having a good time in the room and then i had to make sure that i walked the balance of keeping them uh well making sure that they didn't think that i was martin's spy so they could yeah. feel free in the room to still talk so i used to come in waving the white flag hey guys like i'm with y'all we writers together. I'm riding and dying with you guys. Don't worry. I'm not gonna tell Martin yeah. that you guys be talking about him in the room because uh. I talk. Because you know the writers' room is where mm-hmm. you talk That's so good. much. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. We we talk so much shit about the actors, all of them,
4: yeah. on yeah.
2: every single show, <laughs>
4: yeah. and we
2: look at all their little idiosyncrasies, and we always do that. So I, you know, I had to let them know that nah, man. Even though I'm his voice, I'm on you guys' side.
1: So. You do you do Martin. Were you leveling up on that show? Like your your credits are leveling, your credits are leveling. And then at what point do you get to show running?
2: So um there were a couple of things that happened. So after the first season, that's when I really learned because we were shooting twenty seven episodes a season at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pretty much it's a whole year. You in that writer's room, mm-hmm. first thing that, that I learned was go to Target, get you a blanket. And some pillows mm-hmm. and some on mm-hmm. a little overnight bag because there's gonna be plenty of nights that you're gonna spend the night there. Yeah. And so, you know, in that writers' room, it becomes your home. These people become your family. Uh, you know, you come in and somebody's sitting in your chair. where well, there were no assigned seats, but you come in and go, "Hey, man, you in my in my seat?" And they're like, "This is not your seat." I'm like, "Nigga, that's my seat. <laughs> Get about my seat, <laughs> right. right, right." So, so it becomes it becomes home. And so it took a year for me to understand what I was doing and understand that this is real. This is not just a hobby. Mm. This is my this could be my career, my yes. life forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so after that year of, of of learning and really just being entrenched in the in the whole the whole game, I think what happened for me was the second season I started asserting myself more.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, I started really loving what I was doing and, and I was connected to the actors mm-hmm. but I was also connected in the room in a way that they started really respecting my uh, my decisions and the, and the cool thing was even though I was considered a low level writer mm-hmm. at the time John Bowman who ran the room uh, R.I.P. John they would let us be in the room for the decision making mm. so I, I saw the way that he talked to the the executives and I saw the notes that were being oh, given so I saw it all mm-hmm. yeah. it was like literally being a mm-hmm. a, a, a fly on the wall mm-hmm. and I was like oh okay so really when I get that shot I'm just gonna emulate I'm mm-hmm. just gonna emulate him yeah mm-hmm. I'm just gonna do what he did mm-hmm. I'm just I'm turning into John right, right? Mm-hmm. and so so realistically after I was so valuable in that room that second season I jumped from from a story editor to executive story editor to co-producer so fast mm-hmm. and i had good agents too mm-hmm. that's nice. that's also mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. that's also a, a very good thing to have good reps that are like
1: yeah. yeah well we think Bentley should be moved up and did you have them before you started the show or you got them like after one season
2: no it's, i got a funny story if i can if i guess yeah it. it's yeah. a really funny story so i i when i was acting i had a theatrical agent um uh, i can't think of her. susan crow was her name and so Susan was always sending me on these crazy roles. I'm like, Susan, I can't play 16. I'm I'm six foot five. You got a baby face. You're 16. Anyway, when I did the the Martin, when I first got on Martin, I didn't have an agent whatsoever, right? And so, um, how did it go? It went. It was like, um, oh, I know what happened. It was like we hadn't even started shooting yet, but I booked a role on a show called Doogie Howser
4: right? Mm-hmm. So I booked
2: this role and they were like talking about, hey, we'll make it recurring if you want. And we, you know, it's a fun role. I was like, cool. So I missed a meeting at the Martin show. And when I got there, Martin goes, and Martin was very serious. He's like, this, fuck was you at today? And I was like, <laughs> oh man I, man, I did this Doogie House shit. It was cool. I'm explaining it to him, right? And he goes, hey, Ben, that's cool. And if you wanna do that, I'm cool with that. But if you wanna do this, I'm gonna need you here, so you kind of gotta make a decision, like, you know, what's it gonna be? You and I'm thinking he's hating, but he was basically helping me define what the rest of my life would be, and Mm -hmm. he was in that moment, and he was saying, "You gotta decide whether you want to do that, or whether you want to take a career in doing this. The the choice is yours." Mm -hmm. I called my agent, Susan, and she said, "I have this audition for you." I say, "Susan, I quit." She said, "What do you mean you quit?" (laughs) I said, I quit as a, as an actor. I'm no longer an actor. She cried. Oh, She wow. was like, how could you do this to me? And I was mm-hmm. like, she was like, I got stuff set up for you. I said, I know, Susan, but I have to make a decision. And then she said, well, damn, you could at least let me negotiate your deal. And I was like, you're not a theatrical agent, Susan. Mm-hmm. Is your, I mean, you're a theatrical agent. You're not a literary right. agent. Literary, mm-hmm. yeah. And so she was like, well, you know, she was very disappointed, but I had to make that decision, and I've never seen her again since then Wow. you know um so so i had good you know so so from there i i met i started talking to other writers that are in the room and i'm like hey who's your agent how do we do this right like you need an agent i'm gonna hook you up with this other lady and i started with this small agency called the right concept which was a cool little boutique agency mm-hmm. and i did that and then i had a family friend who worked for mike ovitz at mm-hmm. caa now mm-hmm. mike ovitz basically owned the entertainment industry at that time. Mm. And so um, she said, I can get you a meeting with Mike. I said, "Well, Mike Ovitz? She was like, yeah. So when I go in Mike Ovitz's office, he's on the phone. He never looks at me. Mm-hmm. He's on the, He never looked up mm. at me. And she said, this is the guy I was telling you about. He waved his hand like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he hangs up the phone. He never looked at me. He said, get him an agent. <laughs> and that's how I got into CAA, and I was there for 15 years. But I digress in the story. Uh, I had good reps. CAA was the biggest agency in Hollywood at the time. Wow. Yeah. So I was I was good. So that helped me kind of escalate through the minutia and get to the next level of the game. Right. Right. So by season three, well, you know, Martin was was rocking and rolling. We're we're a hit show. Uh he's not getting along with a lot of showrunners and different people that they had coming through. And so I get a phone call and I'm thinking I'm getting fired. I really thought I was getting fired. And they were like, can you come to HBO and century city? We need to talk to you. And I'm like, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) All good things come to an end. And so I go into this uh, meeting and uh, Chris Albrecht, who was running HBO and they're the production company for Martin. Chris says, Hey man, um, I need something from you, and I said, "What's that?" He said, "Do you, you think you're in a position to run the show?"
3: Ooh! Wow!
0: This come on!
2: Third season. <laughs> I said, "What?" He said, "Do you think that you Don't can?" Don't let
0: that imposter syndrome come right. In.
2: Exactly, and I was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, of course." I mean, what you? Say? Yeah. So he was like, um, "Well, you know, um, you know, we're getting ready to start season four. And we would like it very much if you could do that. And he said, but here's the thing. You're not going to like the next part of the conversation. I said, okay, what's what's the next part of the conversation? He says, I'm not going to pay you. I knew it.
0: That. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it. I'm sitting here holding my breath because like, I know I'm yeah. like. money. Yeah. Like, come yep. on. Yep. What? Yep.
2: He said, I, I'm not going to pay you uh, executive producer showrunner money. I'll pay you supervising producing money. And he goes, but if you do it for a season, I guarantee you I will change the outcome of your career. So I'm insulted and complimented at the same time. I get to the car and I call my agent and I tell him what just transpired. And he said, well, Bentley, you gotta make a decision. I said, what do you think? He goes, it's a cold game out there. And he said, but I'm just gonna be honest with you, man. Now, this is Joe Cohen, he was my agent at the time. He's a Jewish guy, he says, I mean, I know it's unfair, but what you going to do? I was like, well, at least he's being real with me. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, you know what? I'll take the job and I'll just make sure that I'm the best at it. Mm -hmm. And so I took the job. I was the youngest showrunner in Hollywood at that time, black or white. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to roll with this. I'm going to just do this. And so I did that and so many other great things happened as a result of it. And that's what got me to uh, get a great meeting with Warner Brothers to get a good, uh, a real deal there to go ahead and create the next thing that I was gonna do, which was Jamie Fox show.
0: Wow, and you were like the showrunner from day one.
2: Oh yeah, created the show and showrunner from day one.
3: Incredible.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. And so with now you are in charge, you are the showrunner, like was there Pushback in terms of wanting to get black voices in there. Were you able to do that in terms of the right, mm, That smile. Yeah, you know,
2: <laughs> I smile like that because yeah. I think it's always it's it's still a it's still a struggle yeah. unless you're doing your own thing, um, which independence I really applaud anybody who's independent enough to take matters into their own hand. Yeah. Um, I, I applaud them. I've read some really bad stuff, but I go, it's good because they did it.
4: They, yeah.
2: I've seen some stuff on Tubi, and I'm going, yo, that's horrible. But <laughs> I shouldn't say nothing because they got a film done. Yeah. So I got to give them their props. You know yep. what I mean? Because I know how hard it is to get a, a film done. So, um, it's that challenge was there then. It's still it's still there now. Whenever I would make suggestions to bring somebody else in, they'd have to vet them. Well, you know what's the, I don't know. Let's let's look at this. So it's the resume, and I'm like, trust me, this is the funniest guy I know. Yeah. And he got jokes for me, so, so yeah. There was there were still a lot of times where we had to um, really really convince them. Even even going back to Martin, when we wanted to do the characters that Martin made so famous on the mm-hmm. show, the network mm-hmm. and the and the production company hated all of them.
3: Mm-hmm. They liked Chinay-nay, Mm-hmm.
2: and the, pretty much that was. Did it like
3: Brother Man? Ah, uh, well, you
2: yeah. know they didn't understand Brother Man. Okay. they didn't understand like. Why wouldn't he call the police? And I'm like,
3: no, nah, we don't do that. That's yeah. not our
2: community. We would have been like, nigga, if you don't keep coming through my window,
3: he's harmless. He's so harmless. What What's he doing? Say. He's
1: hungry. He's just, hungry. He
2: just
3: he's probably food. high.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, just got off his little gig. He's very, very nice
3: man. He's a very you know, nice, very respectful kind. guy. Yeah. He
2: just his politics are just wrong. Right. But they didn't like the characters Rony that Rome. Martin played. Oh, they all mm. they they hated Romy Rome. <laughs> They hated him. I know
1: y'all ain't mm. hearing no Dragonfly Jones. No, no. <laughs>
2: Dragonfly Jones. <laughs> no, y'all not. <laughs> they they didn't like Dragonfly Jones, but Dragon that was like a very complicated character mm-hmm. because it was like that was the only character that we gave Martin that he didn't under that he was like this is y'all didn't put nothing on the paper for me. We were like, well, you just said you want to play this kung fu master, and he was like, I'll take it into my own hands, and he really dug deep and worked mm-hmm. and created. What we saw. Wow. He did that. Mm -hmm. He did that. All that was all that ad lib stuff. It was Mm -hmm. so funny that I mean, literally, I almost got kicked off stage. Mm -hmm. I'm laughing (laughs) uncontrollably because I'm going. Mm -hmm. But I'm also looking at the brilliance in this man who's 20 something years Uh, old. That's digging deep. That's finding these moments that would define what this show was. Culture, culture,
0: period. Straight Straight up, up. and really made those networks what it was. Yes, elevated Fox to what it was. And I feel like after you know Martin, Jamie Foxx show, like Living Single, all the black shows they really just turned their backs on black television once they kind of garnered that audience. They
2: did. That's what they do. You know, it's like when you go back and look at the history of television. NBC, cbs especially and abc those were the three the only three networks and with cbs they did a sitcom i believe called beulah and it started with hattie Mm -hmm. McDaniel, hattie Mm -hmm. mcdaniels uh, playing beulah but then they changed the actress but that was like the first sitcom on television right and it's what built cbs they had taken it from a radio show and put it on tv So they've always started with us, Amos and Andy, you know, I'm sure you guys Mm -hmm. know about that, Mm -hmm. Um, where some people are ashamed of Amos and Andy, but I thought it was brilliant because it was what we had at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was what we could do at Mm -hmm. that time. And so you can't get mad at a step and fetch it at that time that was making a living. Yeah. He was considered a coon
4: Mm. by
2: our own people, but that's what we do to each other. We tear (laughs) each other down. We don't build each other up. You know what I mean? It's unfortunate, but we don't. And the thing about it is it was just what they had to deal with at the time. Yeah. They just didn't have um, the resources to do other things. Well, yeah, and there's no
1: advocate in charge either. There's mm-hmm. there's no blackface making the decisions at that time
3: that could be like, hey, we ain't going to have this man do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, there was no rules. We're we going to mm-hmm. stop the bug yeah. eyes. There you know? go. Yeah. Yeah. There I you mean, go. it's really wild to me. I think we all know this fact, but, you know, I learned this – In the last few years about the living single trajectory of like it establishing the network and then they went and made friends and that became the you know mainstream all the white people like oh we love friends ha 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 be there for you but literally the the creators of that said oh we that was living single we that literally is living single just made it white Mm -hmm. no it really is
2: it really is i mean the the way that they did yvette Uh, Yvette Lee Bowser she was Yvette Lee Mm -hmm. at the time when she created that show they wouldn't even let her executive produce and uh, show run that show it was her creation but they wouldn't let her do it the first season they made her change the name I forgot what it was called before it was Mm. living single but they were control trying to control the narrative and she was like nah you guys gotta let me do my thing fortunately for her second season she came in Show ran it and it became a, a hit. But that's exactly what they built uh, friends off of. Mm-hmm. But that's what they've been doing uh, from the beginning. We are, uh, people of color are the people that move the needle. We buy the the products that they're advertising. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that spend the most money mm-hmm. out of any other mm-hmm. race out there. And so they take advantage of that and then they go, okay, now we've built an audience off mm-hmm. of them. Now let's... Slide more mainstream stuff in there, mm-hmm. uh, so that now our audience will come in and we got it from here, pal.
3: You mm-hmm. see yeah. what I'm but you know what though, <laughs> I'll <laughs> add. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that is that's the info. Yeah. We, got we got it from here. We got it from here. But it's not just about the consumers; <laughs> it's the creators because right. it's like we got the fucking sauce. Yes. like we are the talent. So it's not just about manipulating consumer markets. It's like no, y'all are the purest. <laughs> Y'all bring what needs to be be brung, and then we're gonna we're gonna s- sprinkle some salt on it, and we're gonna
2: sprinkle some salt on it, and then you find out that the Nielsen ratings, the way that they rate everything, how can that be fair? When I'll ask the three of you guys, you guys know anybody who has a Nielsen box? No. no, you,
3: you know, ever met anybody? Yeah. You used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to be selected. You have to be, selected. Select have to be selected in the middle of the country. Most of times.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Shut up. Yes. That's a real box. That's a, a real
1: box. They, I thought it was every television. No. no, As a child, I would ask my parents all the time, no. "Can we, can we be these people? I want to be. I want to yep. be uh, part of the people rating." And they were like, "Well, don't worry like that." Mm-hmm. In, in <laughs> no my life,
2: I've I've been alive f- five decades. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I I think I've met two people in that time that i've heard of say yeah we were a nelson family when we were growing up
3: right i want to meet these people
2: exactly <laughs> so so what that says is when you think about it it's like so they're basically saying one household represents um maybe 10,000 people
1: they're watching patterns that they're habits. watching patterns and these are all white people because mm-hmm. you don't know nobody who
2: Thank
3: had you. one. They're in Ohio so somewhere. So all based.
1: Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So
2: I'll tell you guys a really fun. I'll share this funny story with you that when we did the Jamie Fox show, um, so what they used to do is once you did a pilot, they would test it with an mm-hmm. audience, and so we did a Jamie Fox show. Um, they tested our show with an audience, and it was black and white. You know, it was it was, it was mixed gender, the whole nine yards, right? And we tested so high. No one ever talks about this because they swept Mm. it under. We were the highest tested pilot in Warner Brothers history.
1: Wow. I'm going to say that again.
2: We were the highest tested pilot in Warner Brothers history. So it tested so crazy that they said we got to do a retest.
3: Of course. Of course. That's the of white course. way. course. right. Of course. I didn't Y'all win. can't be the best. No. Uh-huh. Y'all, Y'all Jamie. Want steroids. We gotta okay. we gotta check it. Tell <laughs> me.
2: Now now, mind you, Seinfeld's already on the air. Uh Friends is on the air and they're shooting on the same lot as us. So mm-hmm. many others, suddenly Susan with Brooke Shields and all these other shows. And we tested the highest, right? So now mm-hmm. when they do the retest, they never gave us the results. They just picked the show up.
0: Yeah. But they never mm-hmm. they never gave us
2: the results. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They picked this show up and we do go do our 100 episodes, but the, I guess the point that I'm making is that the testing system was like it was like you can't trust it now because if we're if we know the results of what it was, how can we ever trust the Nielsen ratings to to tell the truth? How do we know that the Jamie Foxx show is now bigger than Friends?
4: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: We'll never know. Yeah. You can never know. Yeah. So the advertising dollars go to friends, and their creators make more money than I did, and, and the rest is history.
3: Um, you know what? Y'all can suck it. okay. You know what I'm saying? Tell them, tell like, them, say that real. again. We're
0: gonna transition to a segment called Bootleg Fabulous, uh, where we give tips and tricks on how to make it on a shoestring budget. And uh, I wanna like, what is your, your everyone's secret to a killer pitch? For me, it's uh, the my intro and wrap up. I got that on lock. Like I'm going she to, do. I'm going to make you fall in love with me. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whatever I say in between this intro and this wrap up, mm-hmm. you don't agree with me You're like, I want to fuck with her. Like I want to be in business with her mm-hmm. and we can work out those kinks of the things that I don't agree with later.
2: Yeah. Um, mine is just, you, you got to make it relatable to you. So even if you got to lie and say that this is a real story that happened to you, yeah, that that usually hooks them in. Mm hmm. That usually hooks a man like mm-hmm. it's like almost like hey you know what I have a sister and my sister is a lawyer but she can't keep a man. And so this character is it and then I you know you you see what I'm saying? Yes. And so I use that yes. as, as a yes. way to really make it relatable so that they understand that you know this character very well yes. and we trust you with
4: it. Yes,
3: and that's wow. so important cuz I actually um I literally teach people how to pitch now and that's the factor that I feel like people, it's the biggest blind spot, which mm-hmm. is make it personal and attach yourself to it. Yes. Because the way this business works is you have a great idea, but they just gonna attach someone else to it if you are not integral to that process. If, it, mm-hmm. if you can't attach your authenticity to it, like, hey, this is based off of some real shit and only I can tell this story, then they may be like, we like that idea. Can we repackage that and someone mm-hmm. else do it right? You yeah. need to be in the mix in your pitch, mm-hmm. like
4: yeah, yeah
2: and yeah. and also you know as concise as possible, um, you know, getting to those points, hitting those hitting those points, and then uh you know, of course, I'm always gonna try to make a joke at the end and you know, basically mm-hmm. you know say something like stupid, like so what do we start and <laughs> and so we're buying this in a room now. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah, if they're yeah. still doing that, if that's right, how it yeah. goes anymore. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I'm just a authoritative in the sense of I like to be very clear that I know this story and these people very, very well. Mm-hmm. So that there's no question. You know, there's nobody else. And whether I have thought about all the points, I like to make you feel like I've thought about everything. You have a question, I have an answer.
0: Yes. And with that, We are on Glamorous Truths. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Améva. You can find me at Améva Bayene. I'm Chandra Russell. You can find me at Chani.
3: I'm Crystal. You can find me at underscore Chris Chris.
2: I'm Bentley Evans, Bentley Kyle Evans, but Bentley Evans on everything at Bentley Evans, Twitter, Instagram. What's the new one? Thread. Thread all of them. You thread? Bentley Evans.
0: And You can find our podcast wherever you find yours.